Let's go ahead and turn to Romans uh, chapter 14 this morning. That's where we're going to be in the text. We're going to be looking at the first uh, 12 verses of Romans chapter 14. As we looked at over the last maybe month and a half or two months that Paul has really turned the page in the book of Romans, really from chapter 12 forward, we get to see a a, a new uh, way of speaking to God's people. And this is coming off the heels of the first 11 chapters, right? The first 11 chapters we're talking about, the condition that all humanity is now born into. What happened when Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God? In chapter 3, we saw that all have sinned, each one of us in the room, not just the worst of the worst in humanity, but all, all of humanity has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We see... Later in chapter 4, that God only acquits our punishment because the punishment was given to someone else. And that punishment was given to Jesus Christ, that by having faith in his work, we are reconciled to God and have a restored relationship to God the Father. In chapter 10, he says, "If, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words... We need to remember that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that, if am I going to give you one sentence for chapters 1 through 11, it's that. That we are sinners saved by grace. So when he turns to chapter 12, it's coming off the heels of that. That it is only through the first 11 chapters that chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 even make sense. Okay? So last week, we looked at... The last couple weeks, we looked at Romans chapter 13, what it means for us uh, to submit to authorities, to submit to the authorities that God has put above us. And Chuck said this, submission to authorities is a reflection of our submission to God. And that Paul believes that we should expect most governments to be evil and corrupt And our humble submission to them is a way of Christian subversion. That we are serving and honoring God by submitting in that way. Today in chapter 14, we turn to a new topic where Paul talks about how within the church, within the body of Christ, we are to disagree with one another on secondary issues. So let's go ahead and open the Word this morning. The text will be printed uh, in your bulletin as well as up on the screen. If you have a physical Bible, let's open to Romans chapter 14. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced In his own mind, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die... 
we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we come before you uh, eager to hear from your word, knowing that we uh, constantly fall away from the way in which we are to live. Father, as we are those who have received mercy, those who have been given grace through your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray that our hearts would be open to how we are to live and how we are to act. God, we pray that you would remind our hearts and our minds that none of this that we talk about today with loving other people comes from itself, but it comes from a love that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. Father, be with us this morning. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So recently, uh, the Business Insider uh, wrote an article entitled, The Science of First Impressions, What People Decide When They Meet You. This is going to be a couple scary facts, so I'm very sorry about this, but the article talks about, and you can Google this and find tons that are very similar to this, but a recent news article explains how people decide 12 different things about you within seconds of meeting you. They decide whether you are trustworthy or not, if you have leadership qualities, if you are smart, if you are promiscuous, if you are dominant, successful, adventurous, dateable, if you are a friend or a foe, all within a few seconds of meeting. In the article, it says this, a lot of first impressions come from things we can't control at all, our natural scent, our baby-like face, whether or not we need glasses or are bald. For instance, men who have feminine facial features like thinner eyebrows and a pointier chin are more likely to seem trustworthy. I'm quoting this just so you know. This is from the article. I'm not telling you this to be truth. Okay? <laughs> There's not much that folks who, who want to give off a first good compres- impression can do with their facial structure. Though they can change their body language by enacting small changes like smiling more, making more eye contact, nodding, etc., these sorts of things. If you Google first impressions, you will find page after page. I know we never go past one page of Google, but the whole first page that you'll look at says that you can do all these certain things to give a good first impression because people in life are quick to judge. Within a couple seconds, people will say, are you trustworthy? Are you smart, promiscuous? That this type of behavior, this type of thought is normal for all of us, inside the church and out. And we determine what is true about another person just within a few moments of meeting them. And if you're anything like me, right, we are very quick to pass judgment on other people. So quick. We feel like we know what people are like right when we meet them. Even after we have known them for some time, we say, I I think I know what's best for that person. We pass judgment because we often lack humility. The humility that God has called us to, and really from Romans 12 forward, 
right? Our passage today is calling the people of God, the people within the church, to a different type of lifestyle. One that does not judge on first impressions. So the theme we're looking at today is this. This is in your bulletin as well as the outline. It'll be up on the screens also. God's people are to live with conviction unto the Lord while honoring the convictions of others. God's people are to live with conviction unto the Lord while honoring the convictions of others. We're going to look at three different things. First, welcome one another. This is verses 1 through 3. Secondly, live with conviction, verses 4 through 9. And third, remember God's judgment seat, verses 10 through 12. Before we get into the first point, I think it's good to give us a little introduction to remind us on where we are and who Paul is talking to. We need to remember that he is coming off of 11 chapters of indicative, of truth, of who God's people are, how they have been saved by grace, not by their own merit, but by the merit of Jesus Christ, his only son. Secondly, we need to understand this specific portion of the letter, where he is in Romans 14, is speaking about how Christians are to speak and interact with other Christians. He is not talking about how we're to interact with people outside of the church or the broader church as a whole okay speaking about how people within the church are to treat each other when they disagree on issues second third we need to understand that paul is explaining differing opinions on secondary issues okay this is not the core the very center of orthodox christian belief i think it's really helpful Uh, i think i have a chart up here that if you can turn to that it's really helpful to see this diagram Okay, I was given this. This is very similar to Chuck's cone of certainty. This is a different diagram, very similar idea. That the core in this diagram are things like God exists and he speaks. Christ is a unique divine son of God that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Convictions, that second ring there, are things in our denomination like the Westminster Standards, like our confession of faith. Covenant theology, gifts of the Spirit, the church and its work, how we worship on a Sunday morning. Very important things, not at the very center. Okay? The last outer ring are personal decisions. These are things like education, entertainment, finances, political views on the outer ring. So when we come to this text, Paul is not talking about the core, the center of Christianity. He's most likely talking about the outer ring, the convictions, maybe commitments, maybe. I'm sorry, I'm mixing those two up. Maybe the inner ring. Most likely, the examples he gives are on the very outer ring. These are secondary issues, have nothing to do with salvation per se. So we see this is not a sin issue that Paul is dealing with here when it comes to lifestyle. Doriani's commentary that I've been using when I have looking looking at Romans, the title of his chapter on Romans 14 is getting along with everyone without going along with everything. It's this idea of getting along with everyone, even though we don't agree on certain things. Now, this is not the core. This is the outer ring, the secondary issues, that unity is the main theme here. That's what he's going for. It's not to sway us to do one thing or the other, but to be unified in Christ. Okay, so let's turn Uh, To welcome one another. This is the first point. This is verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So we need to explain here and look at this idea of someone who is weak in faith. 
Now, this is not a person who is weaker uh, physically or has a weaker will or weaker in character, but weaker in faith, he says. And Stott, in his commentary, says this, It is a weakness in assurance that one's faith permits one to do certain things. So if we are trying to picture a weaker brother or a sister, we must not imagine a vulnerable Christian easily overcome by temptation, but a sensitive Christian full of indecision and scruples. What the weak lacks is not strength of self-control, but liberty of conscience. So in other words, the weaker brother, the one who is weaker in faith in our text today, is one who has a sensitive conscience towards lifestyle. The text tells us, if you see a brother that is like this, welcome him in. Welcome him. Paul gives us two different examples of of what this looks like in the Roman church. The first one is what believers eat, their diet. In verse 2, he says this, One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Just... I, I laughed over and over again when reading this text because, you know, my life group is so into smoking meat, and this is just like, I don't know, the whole thing is just really funny. I just talked, thought about it over and over again. But in this context, the church in Rome specifically was primarily Gentiles. They were not Jewish Christians who had had the Torah or the law of God beforehand. These Gentiles had not followed before this any of the ceremonial laws or any of the dietary laws that the Jews would have had. But the Jewish Christians that were there, they had those things. That's how they worship God. That's how they are trained to worship God as infants, probably, through their childhood into adulthood. They learned how to honor God with a certain way in how they lived. So here, when the Jewish Christians are specifically worried about what they're going to eat, these Jewish Christians were most likely concerned with eating meat that was that was sacrificed to idols and sold in the marketplace. So they're saying, okay, if that's a risk at all, I'm not even going to eat meat because there's a risk that I, I can offend someone or I can go against my conscience. So in, in our text, while the strong believer understood that, well, if they sacrifice it to an idol, idols are false anyway, so it doesn't really matter. So I can eat that meat. It's totally fine. The weak had a heavy conscience. They abstain from meat altogether to avoid error. He goes on in verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So Paul here gives us two sides. The normal disposition for each side, and he warns against both. For those who feel convinced that they can eat meat, Don't despise the other person that does not eat meat. And this idea of despise, it it implies looking down upon. The strong in this text will be tempted to feel superior, feel better than. Oh, I I have my liberty. I, I am better. I'm more mature than you are. He says, don't do that. This idea of passing judgment, those who abstain, their normal reaction will be to pass judgment on those who participate. And passing judgment suggests condemnation. Condemnation that God only brings, not man. Because he thinks that God's law requires him to abstain. 
So either the weak who pass judgment on the other or the strong who despises, who looks down upon the other. Paul's saying, you're both wrong. You're both not right. This is a secondary issue. Welcome each other. Accept one another. For God has welcomed you. It's important to know that Paul isn't correcting in this point right here. He's not correcting either side. He's not saying you're wrong or you're wrong. He's not correcting either side. Neither are condemned. We see that Paul's main push is for unity when there is disagreement on secondary issues. In this original, in the original language, this word welcome, it has connotations of how a family welcomes in a person. A loving family. So it's not just to put up with them. It's to welcome them in as you welcome in your beloved brother, sister, mom, dad, your own children. We welcome each other in in that way. Now, this text has really, I've sat in this text many times over the, the course of my life. And uh, I grew up in a Bible-believing church, uh, very faithful people. I've told you many times how I'll see people from my childhood, and they'll tell me they wa- changed my diaper in the nursery or whatever. And I just thank them, right? Because there's so many faithful people all around me, so many. And I would not be here where I am today. I feel like if the Lord had not used those people in my own life. Um, such a good church that I grew up in, great godly parents, um, but alcohol was never something that was very uh, big in my life. My parents didn't drink a whole lot. My, my church, the people in my church didn't a whole lot. And as I got into my teen years, uh, I saw some of my friends. I played basketball, and I was in band, so I had all these friends outside of church. I had, like, several groups of friends. I saw lots of people abusing alcohol as a 15-, 16-year-old, right? So I, you know, I'm being trained in youth ministry. This is not for me, and I, but I still need to love them well, and I'm kind of wrestling through all of this and i know i have in in my own i'm a firstborn and i kind of am a rule follower i i have legalistic tendencies i knew that about myself then and i know even more now right so when i turned 21 i didn't drink at all i didn't have a sip of alcohol as i grew up there's more alcohol around me more and more and it used to make me really uncomfortable because i would look at people drinking and say like oh like oh they're kind of sinning you know and, yeah, we laugh now because I'm a Presbyterian, right? Because it's like, so on to the next part of the story is that I went to a Presbyterian seminary, not really kind of blind to, like, the view of alcohol that Presbyterians have. And I got through my first week of Greek was one, one of the worst and hardest weeks of my whole life. It was so terrible. We got to Friday, and we got to the end of class. It was, like, at noon, and all the guys are making plans to go to the bar that night. And I'm just like, I'm in seminary. Who are these guys? Are they even Christians? Are they believers? Where am I, right? So <laughs> laugh about it now, but I was really distraught, right? Like as this like legalistic guy, I was really distraught. But so I sat down over the, I needed to wrestle with this whole thing about like passing judgment on other people. And I sat down with one of my professors, Dan Doriani, actually, who wrote the commentary. That's who I sat down with. And I asked him, I told him all these struggles. And he said, Dawson, I want you to open up to Romans 14. Do a deep dive into that. Write a paper for me and come back. That's what I did. I realized that in my heart that I was passing judgment, and I had been for a long time, on this conviction that's on the outer ring, a secondary issue. And then all of us, it may not be alcohol for you, but we'll be tempted in some way in our life to either pass judgment on other people for what they do or to despise another person for what they do. 
These secondary issues in the church have divided the unity of the church over and over again, generation upon generation. So we need, I think this text here is calling us to look at our own heart with these type of issues. Look at issues like movies, music styles, worship formats, clothing trends, education, political views. You can name any secondary issue, right? The thing is that these issues on the outer ring are not trivial. Paul's not saying don't care about them. You should pray, you should think, you should discuss these secondary issues to decide what is best. But Paul is saying here, when there is contention on any secondary issue, let there be unity in Christ. Enter into a respectful discussion, even while disagreeing. Come away getting along, not condemning the other person. The truth is that many of these secondary issues on the outer ring are not black and white, even though we want to make them seem black and white. They take biblical wisdom. Remember in chapter 12, when he turned the page into that new section, he said, let your mind be renewed by the word of God. It takes that, the renewing of the mind by the word of God to transform your eyes to be able to see life differently. And the truth is, on these outer ring ideas, that the Bible will be placed into a mind, into a heart of a believer, and God will give them certain convictions on how to apply the biblical truth to have wisdom on these outer ring issues. And that is not always the same for every person. God gives different convictions to different people. So we have to ask ourselves, where in my life do I either pass judgment on other people because I think I know better than them? Or despise other people because they are weak. They don't have as much faith as me. Especially, I think this text specifically is really important in our current cultural moment because if you look at the majority of dialogue or interactions where people are talking about two different issues in our culture now, you don't see charity. You don't see a listening ear. You don't see kindness or respect. You hear demonizing of the other side disrespect, attacking of the character of the person because they disagree on one opinion. So Romans 14 here is calling the church within the church to disagree in a different way, with love, with respect, with charity. The end of uh, 2022, Gospel Coalition came out with this new like, sect of ministry that they're calling uh, Good Faith Debates. And it's coming off this premise that in the world, in the culture, there's so many debates and it's so hateful, the whole thing, that they're trying to model how to disagree well. So I would encourage you, I listened to several this week so I can kind of understand, uh, and I have in the past. I'd encourage you to go find one. It doesn't matter the topic. I don't want you to be swayed on one topic or the other. What I want you to see is how they model how to disagree well in a God-honoring way. I think that's what Paul is calling us to hear. He's exhorting God's people to remain unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ despite differing opinions on secondary issues. Okay, let's go on. Uh, Point number two, we're looking at live with conviction. This is verses four through nine. Verse four, he says this, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So he begins with a rhetorical question. Who are you 
to pass judgment on the servant of another. In other words, your brother or sister in Christ does not belong to you. He belongs to the Lord. The Lord holds his life in his hands. He is the one who will judge him. Who are you to put yourself in the place of God? It is only God who judges another believer. So it goes on in verse 5 to explain the second example. Remember the first example he gives us is dietary, what they're going to eat. The second example he's giving us is the Jewish calendar or how we're viewing days. Verse 5 and 6 say this. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So in this same context... The, the most likely scenario here is that Jewish Christians were still very concerned about celebrating the feasts of the Jewish calendar. They're saying, this is how we've honored God for generations. This is what we have done. And we have to say that this, he's not speaking here specifically about Sabbath, about the one in seven days of resting, because then he would have gone and condemned for not resting. So you have to see that. that this is a secondary issue, not primarily a sin issue of lifestyle. Okay? I want to hone in on, on the second half of verse 5. He says this, Each one should be convinced in his own mind. We should be convinced. We should be convicted about these secondary issues. This command, it prohibits intellectual laziness. We need to apply the gospel to all of life. That's what he is saying here. Our temptation, Doriani, his commentary says this, would be to say, if experts can't agree on all these things, if the most seasoned theologians can't agree, I'll never discover the truth, so why even bother? But instead of going at that direction, the text says that we need to be fully convinced in our own mind. Look at the Word, see how it applies to your life and each situation, and live through that. Be firm in your convictions is what the text is saying. Stott had some good, uh, John Stott had some good question in his commentary when thinking about this, how we think about how we are convicted to live. He says, I want you to think about two different questions. You ask, can I thank God for this? Can I thank God for this type of movie, this type of education, this type of political view? Can I thank God for that? Can I do this unto the Lord? So we need to look at the Bible and apply it and ask these questions. Be renewed in our mind. Think, pray, discuss these issues and ask, is this good for me and my family? The thing is, the text says that both sides are honoring the Lord. Both sides. The one who eats, the one who abstains. He's like, they are honoring God by eating. They are honoring God by abstaining. The one who eats, the one who abstains, They're holding to their God-given convictions. The one who practices the Jewish calendar or not, they are honoring God. So I would encourage all of us, when we think about these issues, these secondary issues, and we look at the other side of the issue and say, do we believe that that person is trying to honor God and their convictions? If you're anything like me, often we'll think that we know what's right, and we'll say, oh, well, they're 
just not there yet. Let us take this stance when we enter into conversations. In a recent book, I guess it was written in the 90s, called Bits and Pieces, uh, Sidney Harris says this, I'm tired of hearing about men with the courage of their convictions. Nero and Hitler had courage of their convictions, but not one had the courage to examine his convictions or to change them, which is the true test of character. It's not a Christian book. It's a secular book. We all would agree with that, that we need to examine our own convictions. Are they biblical? We talked about this when renewing it. In chapter 12, we talked about this. Are our convictions biblical? Can we, can we theologize our way to how we're convicted? Or is it coming from somewhere else? We need to go to the word first. Let our mind be renewed that our convictions flow from that. Secondly, are we listening to the other people around us with open ears and open hearts? And not only listening to them, not listening to them just to have a good response back, but listening and caring, caring for them. How is our heart towards the other person, towards their decision? The text does not say that there's one way to go on either of these secondary issues. Do you believe that? Third, do you have strong convictions about secondary issues? Do you care about any of these things? Some of us will just say, it's, it's too much work. I don't have the time to care. I'm just going to listen to my favorite podcast person. They will tell me what my convictions to be. But the text tells us, each of us, every person in this room, every believer should be convinced in our mind. Look to the word, apply it to your life, every single part of it. Okay, let's go through point three uh, very quickly here. Remember God's judgment seat. This is verses 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So we see Paul really, he, he circles back to how he's talking in verse 4. And he challenges those who are tempted to divide the church, divide over these secondary issues. Both groups, weak and strong, will stand before the judgment seat of God. Let God do the judging. Just debate, discuss these issues, but you are not the judge. That's what he's saying here. So here, for us, here at Christ the King, in this church, I would encourage us to approach secondary issues in this way. If you look at, like, controversy in churches, some of it will be at the core of the center of that diagram, but a lot of it's, like, carpet color and, like, these outer ring issues that, like, divide the church. And the call here is to have solid convictions, but don't be quarrelsome. Don't put them at the center. In Chuck's diagram, don't put movie choices at the top of the cone of certainty. It's not the most important thing. Listen to each other with charity, caring for the other person from the heart. And before you start to pick apart the other side, this is one word of encouragement I would give you. Try to find one good thing, one thing that is God-honoring about the other side of this secondary issue before you pick it apart see what is god honoring and this brings a sense of humility i don't know what is best oh they are doing some things that are good to these discussions no matter the topic there's you could list 20 of them right now that are hot button 
uh, topics in our culture. Political views, immigration law, education, racial discussions, whatever you want to talk about. All very hot button. So a lot of times we don't even enter into them because it's like, I don't even want to get near that. No way, because it's just going to blow up. We need to, what he's saying is we need to enter into these conversations, have convictions about them, but at the same time, care for our brother who does not agree with us. We are to enter into these discussions with charity and respect. I'm going to quote John Stott as we close here. He says this, Despising and judging fellow Christians, the smile of disdainful contempt and the frown of condemnatory judgment are both now shown up to be totally unexpected attitudes. Why? Not only because God has accepted them, because Christ has died and risen to be our common Lord, but also because they and we are related to one another in the strongest possible way by family ties. Whether we are thinking of the weak with all their tedious doubts and fears or the strong with all their brash assurances and freedoms, they are our brothers and sisters. When we remember this, our attitude to them becomes one, at once less critical and impatient, more generous and tender. So let us be generous and tender towards each other. I'm going to spoil a little bit. Chuck's going to do, I'm going to do all of 14 and then Chuck's going to do all of 15. I'm going to spoil a little bit what what you're going in 15. But in in Romans 15 later, Paul says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That you and me are only able to welcome other people, to look at them in this way because God has welcomed us first. And I know that you and me will never do this perfectly that we'll never love each other as we should. We will disdain other people. We will pass judgment. But our God is not like us in that way. He sent his very son, Jesus, who is disdained by humanity to take the judgment that we deserved. And while we continue to pass judgment on other people, our judgment has been passed on to another, on to Jesus And while we disdain other people for their beliefs, God has no disdain for you because the penalty has been paid by Jesus Christ, his son. That Christ died for us that we may welcome other people into God's family in a way of love and respect. So let us allow these truths to fuel what God has done for us, how we love one another. Let us pray together. God, we thank you uh, for just remaining so faithful and close to us despite our many shortcomings. Time and time again, we will disdain others. We will pass judgment upon others. And yet, you come in close, calling us to live for you. Father, as we leave from this place, I pray that we would be reminded that these this call to action is not one that is calling us to merit anything for our salvation, but that has been done on our behalf. And through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we may love other people. We may see the other side and care for them. God, we pray as we come to your table now, you would nourish us, that you would be here with us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.